Coming up on episode 58 of the Upful Life Podcast. Everybody say Nate Dawg. Nate Dawg. Everybody say Nate Dawg. Nate Dawg. But yeah, that's how, I, that's how I met her, man. Yep, through Wally's, of course. Through smoking weed out back at Wally's and going in and trying to play. <laughs> Yeah, so she called me up. She's like, I got a bunch of gigs down at Jazz Fest. Will you come down? I was like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'll come down. I was like, for how long? She's like, you know, stay for nine days. I was like, all right, yeah, I can, I'll clear my schedule. You know, like, yeah, let's do this. I, I was like, you got gigs? She's like, I got gigs. And, you know, I was like, cool. And I was like, I don't know where to stay. So she was like, well, you know, you know, John Phillips from yeah. the reggae scene. Big ups, John Phillips. He's the, uh, yeah, silverback owner with his brother and manager, co-manager of uh, oh, yeah. Slightly Stupid and a bunch of bands. I was like, yeah, I know who John is, you know, and a bunch of guys in John Brown's body ended up saying stupid. So I met John through them. And like, you know, I, I, you know, we had been friends. He's like, well, he's renting a house for all, all the people that work for him at Jazz Fest. So you can just go stay there. You know, there's a porch and you can stay on the porch. I was like, yeah, sure. Whatever, Nikki, you know, like I'll be there. You got gigs. I'll be there. So ended up down there. So I ended up in this house with all these, all these, oh yeah, all these people. And then, we, Nikki and I had some gigs and then she was like, cool, we're playing this crawfish boil or some party at this place. So, but here's this kid, his name's Nick and he's got this song. Welcome to the Upful Life Podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz, and this is episode number 58, coming at you live and direct from the Vibe Junkie Studios in Oakland, California. 58, coming in a little late, but we are so grateful you are tuning in. Yes, indeedy. We're back. Episode 58 is brought to you by a proud sponsor, Legion of Bloom. Legion of Bloom is committed to honoring cannabis culture while giving back to the planet by donating a portion of their sales to environmental causes. The mission is to produce the highest quality cannabis products using sustainable and conscious cultivation and extraction processes. Legion of Bloom has a full range of full-spectrum flower, vape, topical products, perfect for any user in any situation. 
traditional flower, sativa, hybrid, indica varieties, THC and CBD terpene-rich cannabis oil cartridges and Pax Era pods, California Sauce Live Resin, CBD Topical Line, Edibles, y'all know what it is. TheLegionOfBloom.com Check them out. Just five dudes united by a common goal to create incredible cannabis products and provide you with an unmatched experience that are produced in a righteous way. No chemicals, no harmful pesticides, and no additives. Take the high road with the Legion of Bloom, thelegionofbloom.com. Episode 58 of the Up Full Life Podcast. I know I'm like a week and change late. I do apologize. It's been a hectic time and been bouncing around a lot. No excuses other than I've been busy. And I want to tell you a little bit about that. You know, Since we last spoke, you can check out some of my work on Live for Live Music and UpFullLife.com. Did a review of the Neil Francis and Kendra Morris show in San Francisco. Uh, of course, Let Us Unify, their masterpiece of a new album, a deep feature on Live for Live Music, Let the World Know, Let Us Drop's eighth stu- studio album, Unify. Uh, you're hearing Hawk's Claw from that record in the background right now. Then Badu at the Greek, live from Badubatron. Erica Badu returns to a sold-out Greek theater in Berkeley with no name. And then two festival Boots on the ground features, if you will. Black Throated Wind from Sonic Bloom 2022. It's kind of a play on the dead song because of the dust and wind and whole situation out there was wild. Check that out. Shouts to Katie Fox, Wes Johnson, and the Jamie Janover, all the Sonic Bloom peeps. That was a hell of a solo mission and lengthy uh, deep dive into the festival experience. And of course, cheers to 30 years. High Sierra Music Festival returned from their two-year pandemic pause for the cause to celebrate a milestone anniversary in 2022, and it was the first time that I covered the event. Again, live for live music, upfullife.com. You can check that out. I've been going to High Sierra since 2003. You know, really didn't start hitting it every year until I moved to NorCal in 2013. But it's a very dear to me. I like to call it the granddaddy of them all, and. Uh, yeah, this was the first time that I stepped up to write the, you know, Gonzo first-person uh, festival review. So that's a bunch of the stuff that I've been getting into since we last spoke. 
Um, again, please come through upfullife.com. Of course, our friends at Live for Live Music always put me on. They just dropped the news of Brooklyn Comes Alive, uh, the return. It's at the Mirage in Brooklyn on September 17, my late father's born day, his Earth Strong. And I'll be back east for that because, in addition to the Lettuce Boys, of course, Medeski Martin Wood's first show in like four years, and then a headlining Sound Tribe Sector 9. It's right in my wheelhouse, the whole Niner. And then the debut performance of Cool, 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 which we're going to hear about a little bit at the end of my discussion with this week's guest, Nate Edgar of The Nth Power. But before we get into that, I've got to remind y'all, like I always do, please rate and or review the Upful Life podcast on your podcast platform of choice, but particularly on iTunes. I like to tell you the algorithms, you know, we need them channeled in this direction. New listeners, just set the antenna up by dropping a review and or a rating uh, on this podcast. iTunes, I thank you in advance if you have the time or are so inclined. You can drop me a line, b.getz at upfullife.com. Send me an email. I just got a couple cool emails just between the Ron Johnson episode 57 and now. And I think that checks all the boxes. And just thanks for lifting me up. Thanks for listening to the pod. Thanks for reading my stuff online. Uh, everywhere I've gone of late, I've been really just so humbled by uh, what some of y'all had to say about the work that I do. And, you know, I'm not the best at taking compliments. So allow me to, to state it uh, on the air here that I am so, my heart is filled and I'm so uh, grateful for any and everybody who takes an interest in this passionate work that I do. Now let's get into episode 58 of the Upful Life podcast. Yes, indeedy. let the whole song run unbelievable it is my absolute joy honor privilege duty to welcome the great nate edgar bassist of the nth power to the up full life podcast i'm going to try to keep this intro shorter than the norm i know i can get going but this one is so dear to me i've been a huge fan of this band since their inception and we talk all about their journey 
Um, but when I first heard them and Bear Creek 2013 in the music hall, it was just like love at first sight. And I wrote about it at the time, and I've just been so plugged into every evolution of this band in the 10 years they've been a band. And as I mentioned on the last pod, I did this piece for Nugs.net and really just reflected on their career. And part of that process was speaking with Nate and decided to make a podcast out of it. And it's a good one. Now, uh, yeah, we get into, of course, all the nth stuff, but we talk about his whole journey as a bass player, as a human being, as a music fan, his like methodology and modus operandi um, from reggae and hip hop, jazz and classical and up through the nth power and all the like super jams and tributes that not only the nth do but nate does with a number of other cats in the game and soon enough he's going to be stepping up to play some bass at the cool 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 first gig uh some of the members of turquoise as i mentioned earlier in the uh in the intro to this pod so nate's a busy cat he's a dedicated and and brilliant musician and also a dear friend, somebody I love, somebody who's really given me a window into so much about not just Nth Power, but like how cats do it from the shed to the stage to the rage. And, you know, we get it all. And, and Nate doesn't do a lot of interviews. And, and I feel really grateful and honored, touched that he chose to, you know, give me so much time. So we did a lengthy interview at the end of the spring. And then I called him back this week after High Sierra to kind of get the 411 on the last couple things uh, that went down. And I'll just get it out of the way. The second part, just the last 15 minutes or so, the update. I had a really hot mic. Doesn't sound so good. So it's basically just Nate's part of the conversation and I surgically inserted just topical changes so it didn't seem like one stream of consciousness not my preferred way to do things but he gave me such good stuff and uh, for whatever reason my mic was hot and it wasn't hot in my earphones and i know that's tmi but if you wonder why i switch it up from a back and forth conversation to basically me just teeing up topics for him to expound on that's precisely why that happened um, we're listening to Love What You're Doing to Me from December 3rd, 2014, The Nth Power at the Ardmore Music Hall, Blockley Family, Philly Stand Up, my man CP, Chris Perella, Jed Bueller, the whole Ardmore squad. That's my roots, so I wanted to play one of my favorite Nth songs from the Nigel era uh, from back home, back in uh, Philly. And this was shortly after... Um, I got in trouble and went to jail. And uh, yeah, this is a special show. A lot of love for me in that room, even though I wasn't there. And I return to it often. It's on nugs.net along with a handful of other fantastic Nth Power shows. But yeah, I said I wasn't going to do a long intro. I think I gave you the scoop. Nate is about to give you the scoop. Nate Edgar, Nate Dog, bass player, Nth Power, episode 58 of the Upful Life podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz. Yes, indeedy.
a long time in the making and uh and indeed my honor and privilege and extreme pleasure to welcome nate edgar of the nth power to the up full life podcast yeah man good to be here be nice to sit down and talk with you bro always enjoy seeing you and talking to you but it's nice to do it like this man for sure agreed man it's the next best thing of being of, of hanging you know that's why i was like yeah we could do phone but uh you know looking at each other and and having the opportunity to really drop in is the next best thing to the hang definitely Definitely agree. Cool, man. Well, uh, I'm here in Oakland. I know I'm going to see you in about a week and change in Swanee, but where am I talking to you right now? Where are you at? Right now, I'm in Boston. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm in Boston. been spending my time between here and uh, like coastal New Hampshire, you know, through the last year or so of the pandemic. So, yeah, just laying low, kind of kind of around where I'm from. It's good to be back around the, the, the homesteads, you know. But I went to college in Vermont, in Burlington. Oh, beautiful. Uh, Yes, yeah, so I lived there for five years, and I just remember after the brutal winters when the spring would break, it would just, you know, everybody comes outside, and it's a whole vibe. Actually seeing people, no doubt, it's yeah. amazing. <laughs> Focuses are starting to come up, too, man. You see some of the some of the old flowers coming up and stuff, and the buds are on the trees. So, yeah, man, it's pretty up full-time of year around here, for sure. Yeah, yes, man. I. I love that, man. Love that. So, you told me earlier you were shedding. So, uh, you know... I always love to hear that. I always love to hear when I'm reach out to someone and they're like, I'm actually practicing. You know, you know, even though you know you master musician all these years, you always practice. And I love to hear that. So like, what is a shed sesh for Nate Edgar? Like, like, uh, is it a scales thing? Do you play along to your favorite records? What's that like? Man, interesting. Um, man, it kind of like, there's a couple of different ways it goes, you know, I go about it because sometimes there's material to learn for specific gigs. So I'm like shedding material for upcoming work, you know, and uh, up, yeah, upcoming opportunities to play. Yeah. So right now I'm shedding this pretty large set list for a tribe called Quest um, tribute that uh, a friend of mine is uh, is putting on in Northampton, Massachusetts. Yeah. The crew is from Brooklyn. Yeah. A bunch of people I know from Brooklyn are, are putting wow. it on. Man, I was stoked when they asked me to do it. No doubt. No doubt. That's incredible, dude. First of all, what is it? The Iron Horse in Northampton? Uh, there is that spot. This is at like okay. the, the Arts Council. So okay. I and you I've never played play the Iron Horse for like the last 20 years. I love that old venue. Right. But uh yes, yeah, some other venue. Yeah, some art center. Yep. Yeah, this cool. uh, this man Nikhil, this guitar player for Antiballus and bass player as well. And just killer band leader, man. He heads up a bunch of stuff. Yeah, and Nikhil is is a wow. Woman. So I was stoked when he asked me to do it. I was like, yeah, let's do that. That's amazing. I, I had no idea. Um, it's just uh, here in Northampton, I think of the Iron Horse. Again, I go back to my my years in the Northeast and that whole scene up there. But this is way deeper on my outline of my Nate Edgar outline, but I'm going to jump right to it because you brought <laughs> up Tribe Called Quest. One of the things that I really blew me away when I saw you perform the Dilla uh, the killer Fadilla, right? It, it was like, you know, whatever, four or five years ago, a couple jazz fest shows like the, and uh, another thing we could touch on is like the tribute thing, but this isn't Nth, this is Nate, right? Mm -hmm. So sure. 
especially having just read the Dillo Time book, is just like right in between my ears. But what was so remarkable to me was that, again, from shedding, however you approached it, like Jay Dilla's music is so nuanced with the rushed snares and the late hi-hats and the bass behind with Pino. And you, it was unbelievable. And I, people use that word all the time, but listening to you, you know, like uh, you somehow stepped into that music uh, in a way that I, I'd never heard like Dilla performed live with the band that kind of like the meters. You hear people cover the meters, but they don't play it right, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, it's Definitely. like the Dilla is the same thing, but y'all had really shedded it. Like you knew the nuances and stuff and, and that blew me away. So I want to know, like, how do you approach that with Tribe, which is obviously the, you know, Tribe fathered the Dilla sound. I mean, Q-Tip discovered Dilla, but also like Tribe Called Quest is the gold standard for that vibe. As a musician, how do you approach like shedding that kind of music it's not lots of notes it's like feel right uh, it, that blew me away just the way you step into hip-hop dilla and now you're doing it with tribe what's the mindset there like what's different about that music Ooh, yeah man well there's a lot of yeah different things about that music but you I, I step into it like i do almost any other any other like style of music which is like i really pay attention to to the details in the bass because the bass lines are like easy in hip hop, easy, quote unquote, as far as like, you know, they're not this ripping, burning stuff, you know, it doesn't happen very quickly, <laughs> you right. know, like bass or whatnot. But, um, you know, the it's in the details and the note lengths and in the placement of the notes on the beat. So, you know, you can write it out and it's super simple music stuff. I could have read in like the ninth grade or something, eighth grade, seventh grade. But to play it with like feel and to play within the pocket, which Dilla produced you know, is, is, yeah, that's the challenge, man. So yeah, I just, I put on the headphones, I have a practice amplifier and uh, the practice, I can, uh, I blended my bass volume with the volume of the recording. And I just, man, I will, I will, I will toil over like four notes of it. And just like, where is that? Where is that feel? And according to what, you know, according to the, the drum beat, the metronome, just, you know, just where is it? Like, where is that note? How exactly long is it? So I'll subdivide each note and be like, he held that to the second 16th note of the second B. And I'll be like, and that's what he does. And he does it on the first bar, not on the second bar, on the first bar or whatever. But he'll just keep going, man. So it's like really in the details of note lengths, man, and attack. Yeah. Man, that's an incredible answer. I fucking love that. Again, I just read this <laughs> book about this, you know, like grids and swing verse, swung verse straight and late late hi-hats early rush snares so like i get it i'm not a musician like you are but I, I understand that it's different on the first than on the second third fourth it might not come back to that first one till the 17th you know like <laughs> yeah yeah learning how long the phrase goes until it comes right. back yeah man yeah dude, dude no i bet man I, I bet it's it's a different listening it's a different practicing and Whatever you're doing, it's working. If I could beam myself to that tribe show, I would. I would love to hear you play that stuff. Maybe one day uh, you will manifest it. But uh, yeah, you have to keep us posted if there's any kind of way we can see some footage or whatever, because I would love to hear you play tribe. Um, I have to leap into the reggae here, because when you talk about simple bass lines that you could read when you were young, but it's all in the feel, I mean, that's reggae right there. So when I think of you, even in the nth construct, 
you're right you play in reggae baseline style like the vibe the the energy the sort of swag is is very you know yardy you know mm-hmm. even in the nth construct i feel it so let's start there man what happens first you find reggae music or you find bass guitar and then when do you realize like that is your fucking vibe wow interesting question man no doubt no doubt yeah i first found the bass guitar yeah before i mean there was some old my best friend's older sister listened to a lot of reggae so it was like always there and she was she, she was cool she was like kind of like a cool kid you know much cooler than me and my best friend it's kind of like dirty kids you know we were doing bad things it's like you know raising trouble but but she was cute i mean she listened to a lot of reggae no doubt and so right around the same time that i realized that what she was listening to was called reggae i, I did find the bass guitar but um i never really played reggae you know and reggae was around me my whole life leading up to the time where i finally realized i was going to you know, I wanted to learn it, you know, so it was always just kind of more, I think as a musician, it's, for me, it's been very valuable to have music that I'm not playing, that I'm not studying, that I'm not intellectualizing, that I'm not reverberating into the world personally, and to listen to that kind of music and absorb it. So I was doing that with reggae for, for forever, for like, you know, 10 years before I started to play it. At least it was just part of my part of my hang, you know, on the right. landscape cruise when I was a kid, you know, the bosses would be cranking it, you know, on the back of the garbage trucks. I'd be listening to it in my headphones just as like fun. I was a garbage man for a few years. So, you know, like all my jobs, I would listen to reggae and uh, it's kind of like what now I do with like salsa music or Latin music. You know, I'll listen to that just for fun. And I I don't have, you know, I don't play that shit. I don't study it, you know, but right. I love it. Yeah, man. So reggae was always around. But in Boston, there's a really there there's a really cool crew of reggae musicians that also play jazz. So when I was coming up through the ranks of Boston playing straight ahead jazz and fusion kind of stuff, they were like, you know, there's we all play reggae as well. And we take it really seriously. And there's these other cats that we play with that don't play jazz, but they play reggae. But they allow us to play with them. We're kind of part of the same scene. So like you should come on down and hear, you know, meet these cats. So I did. And that that kind of. Yeah, it gave me a place to to then play and study reggae because a lot of my friends were playing in kind of bull circuits in Boston. Oh, that's sweet, man. Boston's such a fertile nest for the music that I have been blessed to love and cover and write about. You know, my best friend went to college in Boston while I was in Burlington, so I was hip to the 90s, late 90s thing, went to Burkefest, all that stuff. So I'm familiar with you know, that Northeast sort of cauldron of, it was like, you know, after the Bay Area did its thing, uh, the Northeast kind of really popped and that's where you came up. So before we get into the reggae then, you talked about fusion and jazz and stuff. So like, what was the music that was like the battery in your back in those days? Was it, you know, like your traditional fusion, like weather report stuff like that? Were you into more of the, you know, the fifties, like bop and, and, and more traditional jazz stuff like what, where did Nate Edgar cut his teeth as a player first? Right on, right on. Great question, man. Dude, it's a long and sordid tale for sure. <laughs> you give, me, know? give me like the bullet points, the best stuff yeah. that really, you know, you think matters most. No doubt, no doubt. So I did go to college at the University of New Hampshire. I grew up on Hampton Beach, New Hampshire. You know, it was, you know, down the street, a couple of towns away. And there I started to, you know, I played 
Yeah, I played upright bass there. They had upright bass program there. So I started on upright bass there. Yeah, I couldn't learn upright. I didn't realize that that was going to be my path. And I was like, I'm just going to go to Berkeley, play electric bass. And then I looked how much Berkeley costs. And I was like, I can't go there. <laughs> learn how to play music. I'm, that just wasn't my path, you know? Yeah. I wasn't into going in debt at that time. You know, I just wasn't into it. That just was a personal choice of mine. So I went to the small state university. And they were like, but we don't accept electric bass as an instrument. You can play it. We don't care, but we don't teach electric bass. You're going to have to learn upright bass. And then I was like, oh, like I really don't play upright bass, you know? So I learned how to play tuba. I was like, I think my, my music teacher at the time, uh, the, the band director was like, who I played electric bass in the jazz band in high school. He was like, if you, you can learn tuba quick, like you already know how to read music, like the amateur isn't that hard. So learn how to play tuba and audition to UNH on tuba. And then, and then keep on shedding upright, and then you can switch to it being up, an upright bass major. So I auditioned on tuba. Like, I got really good at that. I love tuba. Like, I marched with tuba, a sousaphone for a year. Like, went through the whole thing, man. Learned how to play tuba, and they, it was cool. It was cool. It was fun. It was I awesome. bet. You know, I played tuba in college for, like, a year, started shedding upright, then had to re-audition on upright, and they, they accepted me as an upright bass student there. Yeah, man. But that was a jazz program in a classical program, not a big program, not like, you know, I mean, there's some good teachers there and it was a cool scene. It was definitely a cool scene. There were a lot of people from Percy Hill were going there at the time. Oh, yeah. There was a bunch of other local music scene, uh, local music that was happening that wasn't involved with the university or anybody going there. But bands like Heaven to Murgatroyd and the 90s was kind of a the late 90s was kind of a hard, you know, it was a cool spot for music. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, man. So I started playing a lot of jazz and classical there and really started getting into the upright. But, you know, the parties that me and my friends would have, we just listened to James Brown, Tribe Called Quest, you know, listen to a lot of what they now call like backpack hip hop. Like that was our stuff, all, all the Brooklyn stuff. You know, we were really into it, man, really into playing it and just checking it out, really just partying to it man. just hanging out and dancing to it. Stirred from a young with a laid back tongue The aim is to succeed and achieve at 21 Just like Ringling Brothers, our days in a sound Captivate the mass cause the pros is profound Do it for the strong, we do it for the meek Boom it in your, boom it in your, boom it in your Jeep Or your Honda, or your Beamer, or your Legend, or your Benz The rave of the town to your foes and your friends Yeah, that stuff is so musical back then The sample-based hip-hop of the 90s, you know, Tribe, De La, you know Or the Backpacker stuff, whatever, Gangstar most sure. quality, whatever you want to take it, uh, even out here on the West Coast, like hieroglyphics, uh, you know, like there's stones throw stuff. Was yeah, huge. of course. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And it's really musical. Like it's not just looped up stuff. It's really musical. So it's interesting to hear that that's a, a part of your genesis. And uh, yeah, it just helps inform and the tuba too. Like, again, that's like bass, clef, low register, same sort of like support foundational role in an ensemble. Yeah. as a bass you're, you're sort of carrying the same sonic and i just think again it informs how we understand you as a player is that your path and you know from from hip-hop to tuba to upright you know it's it's a it's not a straight line you know what i mean it's a, lot, a lot of zigging close. and zagging not even close no yeah. that's i got even really into classical and then like i was like man you should do this i was like did you Somebody told me they're like, yeah, you know, I mean, I know you love it and you're, you know, and you're good at it, but you're gonna have to spend five years alone, like shedding this stuff, and then start to audition. They were like five to ten. I was like, dude, I don't have that. And then they, <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't, have, you know, I don't have that in me. I don't love it that much. 
And then, the, yeah, I was playing a lot of jazz. I moved to Boston playing jazz. But before I left the Northeast, I was playing a lot of Americana music on upright bass and a lot of the like new grass stuff, as they called it in the early 2000s, in the late yeah. 90s. I was playing a ton, a ton of bluegrass festivals. But I was in the new grass bands of the bluegrass festival. So we were kind of looked down upon at, at those festivals and stuff. I bet. Yeah, man, it was interesting, man. I loved it because, you know, a lot of jazz incorporated into there, you know, just like Grateful Dog kind of influence stuff. Yeah. That for years, man, I loved it. Did a lot of recordings and worked with a lot of people and a lot of studios doing that stuff. And then I was, I can't go <laughs> with anything like I've done it. I've done it so many. I just, I had to move on, man. Sure. You know, but I love that. I love that little section of my life, man. Met some really beautiful people that I'm still in touch with, no doubt. Yeah. I love that, man. I, I keep saying that, but I do. I just like it takes me back to a different place in time. You re referenced Percy Hill or the sort of like new jam grass bands of the day. There was one in Burlington called Organic Groove Farmers that was kind of like in our friend circle. And Was my introduction to that stuff for the most part. I mean, I did listen to Grisman and all that because I yeah. was a deadhead, but I wasn't really familiar with the what it took to make uh, bluegrass music right in front of me, washboard, upright, you know, like banjo, mandolin, all that it was yeah. an education. And much like reggae, like when I got to Burlington mm. is when I learned first about reggae. There was a huge reggae presence in Burlington, Vermont. And there was a Tuesday night, like dance hall with John Demas. There was a rhetoric of reggae, like elective at UVM. No and then, really? yeah, and then every reggae. I mean, I saw Sizzle like four times in a club toast and, and higher mm -hmm. ground and Capleton and Anthony B and Luciano. Like they all stopped through Burlington. Um, so, and meanwhile, when I got to college, uh, my very first day, my roommate, Mike Mazza, was from Ithaca. Oh, shoot. So I met him at my uh, at my orientation in the summer. And we were like, you want to go smoke weed down by the Lake Champlain? Cool. We did. We exchanged info. We, were, we should be roommates. Fast forward to when we get to college. And first thing he puts on was uh, all time John Brown's body because he's from Ithaca. He actually now is the proprietor of the Ithaca Reggae Festival. That's his event. Oh, is he but really? That's my college roommate. Shout out Mike Mazza. This is our town. first cd he put on in our dorm room was john brown's body you know like this is our town this is where we belong like it gives me chills to even say it brings me back so i know that wasn't your era of jbp but you had a run with them so i'm curious like what part of their career 
uh, do you get involved? And, uh, you know, just a little bit, as much as you want to share about your time in that experience. Right on. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. So, yeah, as far as the timeline in that band, I mean, I think I got in there just about halfway through their, like, say, 20 years, I think. And like, yeah, if I knew the exact years and the, the exact this and that, but I, yeah, I can't quite remember. But yeah, I was I was in there right about halfway and right after this album called Pressure Points came out. I think that was their fourth studio record. So three albums after all time. And uh, I think. And uh, it was the first record that Elliot, because they had kind of two lead singers, or really they had Kinsella was their lead singer for almost all the records and almost all. And then Elliot started to kind of take more of a more of a role. He just had more more input. Right, he just started writing a lot of songs that the band loved, so they started playing them. So right before I got in the band, they released Pressure Points where Elliot sang almost all the tunes. So it was a little bit more less of the roots reggae, which they were super known for, like doing the roots reggae, recorded in a rootsy way, recorded live, recorded, you know, with that you know um, aesthetic. Uh, recording wise, you know, recorded to tape, recorded using certain microphones, recorded using certain techniques. You know, they they didn't nerd on it as hard as you know, um, as some crews do. But they, they, you know, but they were definitely audiophiles and nerds. So yeah, I got in there kind of after that when they were doing what they would call new roots reggae or futuristic reggae. Yeah, but um, yeah, I was at a festival and I saw them play once, and this is before I joined the band. And I saw him playing. I hadn't seen him playing in years. And I knew the players in the band from, from Boston and from working with the different players that lived in Boston. And this is like right around 2000. Oh, that's a long time ago. 2004, I guess. 2003, maybe even. I don't know. I was out with Peter Prince in the trauma unit, I think, which was like this offshoot of Moon Boot Lover and Johnny. Definitely a Boston-based kind of like funk rock thing. And man, we, we, we were sitting there. John Brown's body was there. He said, hey, to the fellas had a few drinks and they went up on stage. I never met their bass player before at that time. And his name was Scotty Palmer. He was like 30. And I, I just met him. I'd heard about him. This was 2003 or four. I just moved to Boston a couple of years before, just started getting involved with other things. And I saw him play. And I'd never seen anything like it before. And I had seen Steel Pulse a ton of times, I Vibes a ton of times, The Whalers countless times, I Vibes you know, so many fucking times. Yeah, man, burning spirit on seeing a lot of artists for a long time. Like I said, like reggae was always kind of a part of my enjoyment part of music you know always loved it but when i heard scotty and tommy play from john brown's body i was just i was floored i had never seen anything like it i never heard anything like it i was like holy shit you can because it was more like hip-hop bass it was so low and it was so loud and it was so destructive i'm like that is that's something i want to do i was like i want to do that i want to start incorporating that kind of vibe to my plane. I need to meet that guy. We got to hang out. We got to be friends. It's like, what is that? What's driving this man to fucking play reggae bass like that, man? It was fucking destructive. (laughs) 
it just turned me out, man. I remember I lost my band. They like went off into the woods, hanging out with some people in the festival. And I hung out there all night with those guys. And I like got in their van and crashed in their hotel room for a night. And then like found my band later because they were out partying. I lost them. And uh, that's when I got to first know Scotty. Yeah, man. Yeah. No, no, it's important, especially as a fan going back to all time. And, you know, it's no secret. Obviously, Scotty passed away soon after that. Right. Uh, yeah. Soon after pressure points. Yeah. Right. Because yep. I was just, I pulled up, I wrote up one of my first reggae reviews was for Amplify album, oh. which was after Pressure Points, I think one album after, because Scott had passed in the article. Um, so yeah, that was kind of like a real shift. I remember you mentioned Kevin leaving and he's like 10 foot ganja plant was his thing, I think after uh, after JBB. Before and, and after, yeah. Before and after. Okay, see, so you know better than I. Um so I, I still, you know, I dig the 10 foot conjure plant stuff Mike sends me and always been a fan of JBB. They're such a, just an iconic band for, that we can claim, you know, it's, it's stateside and it's of this culture community that you and I are lucky to be a part of and it's authentic and just proud, you know, so I love that you had a role and the time with them. And I think that, yeah, I love all the in, incarnations, you know, Kevin and Elliot, Elliot. And then, you know, I think it just kind of took on all kinds of different guests and stuff in the later years. And yeah, it's it's a it's an iconic band that you have a chapter in. And I just wanted to kind of hear that from you. I've always kind of been curious, wanted to ask. I know about, you know, Scott's passing and stuff. And it's it's a sad tale. And of course, the the band soldiered on. And, you know, that's you, you, you have a role in continuing a legacy. So I just kind of wanted to honor that. So thanks for talking about it. No, of course. Man. Dude, if, if I could add one more thing. Um, Please do. About that kind of chapter. Like at, at that time. So, you know, after I met him and we hung out a bunch, and we got to know each other and I sweated him pretty hard. You know, I was like, how do you do this? I saw him as many times as I could. And then I moved to California with a girlfriend and moved into a yurt at the back of this like herbal medicine school, like in Sebastopol, California. And I lived there for a while. You know, first I lived in the driveway in a, in a, in a converted van for a while. And they're like, why don't you go out back? And like, started working as like a maintenance dude around there, but I had enough time to shed. And I was shedding a ton of upright bass I'm just trying to like figure out what I was going to do next, you know? And I was hanging on that community and loving living in Northern California in the woods and just shedding bass and not worrying about touring or the music scene or anything. And just kind of getting back to the music, nature, girlfriend, herbal medicine school, just chilling. And then Scotty, uh, the drummer called. Yeah. Tommy, who I'd gotten to know Tommy Benedetti from John Brown's body. Big ups, Tommy. And he, yeah, he called and he was like, listen, we have a, we, we have a big fucking issue. You know, we just found out Scotty's super sick. We leave for tour in a week and a half and we're opening up for, at that time, I didn't know who they were, but it was slightly stupid. And they were doing an eight week tour, just working, opening up shows that were like maybe 500 person shows. There was a couple bigger shows on the West coast, but mainly, you know, it was a pretty long tour, you know, and they were like, you know, we'd like you to do it are you available to do it? I was like, dude, I'm not doing anything right now. (laughs) Like literally almost nothing. I was like, yeah, I can definitely come and do it for sure. And they were like, yeah, but you know, we'll fly you back. We need to see if it works. So I flew back and you know, it it worked musically, you know, played with him in some barn for like, you know, two hours. And then they were like, cool. Are you ready to leave? And if you, you know, next week, it's like, yep, let's do it. So that was it. Unfortunately, Scott, Scotty came in, did the last couple of shows um, which I stayed on for, but yeah, he was pretty sick by that point. Mm-hmm. And for his last couple of shows, the end of that tour, yeah, man. 
or maybe one more in New York, no doubt, which I traveled with him too as well. Yeah, man. I mean, wow. Honestly, like that is so beautiful. Just, well, fortuitous that you were available and all that, but the fact that <laughs> you were there, he came back and played a little bit. You were present. There was sort of that passing of the torch. I'm sure he felt good about you being the guy. And I don't know, that just gives me all the feels, man. Thanks for going there. Yeah, of that's course. Deep. Thanks for listening, man. No doubt. Oh, man. That's, that's what it's all about, man. I mean, we could talk about notes and jams till the cows come home, but life stuff. I was my fiance was just telling me yesterday. She's like, I love the vulnerability side of the Ooh. of the interviews. And I was like, yeah, you know, but you can't coax that. You can't like say, hey, give me some some emotional shit. You just gotta talk. And sometimes you'll get you'll go there. You know, yeah. like uh, I didn't intend to necessarily take it there, but I'm grateful that you did because you know it's a legacy, Scott's legacy and John Brown's body's legacy that is, is worthy of the honor and, and the time and the. Yeah, no doubt. For sure, man. For sure. Yeah, man. Dude, I got, I, I got to go there one more time about Scotty. Please do. I love this shit. A couple of things about Scotty, man. Dude, I'm kind of like, kind of, yeah, this is intense, man. I don't talk about this stuff a lot. You know what I mean? I mean, who wants to hear about like awesome people dying way before their time? You know what I mean? Sure. And like I was called in and I was just like, yo, man, I'm just holding space for this dude. This dude is the freaking man, you know? He's, he's a fucking man. But he had this way of setting up his base rig that was like, I learned so much about. And it was like, you know, just using a huge power amp, using maybe something else like after the power amp. Or, you know, yeah. I mean, the line was like going into an Avalon U5, which at the time, especially like 15 years ago or whatnot, super expensive piece of gear. And nobody brought it on the road. I used to see like Nora Jones record with them, like in the studio, these beautiful silver little boxes, two knobs, and the things were just sought after, man. And they were awesome. Nobody brought them on the road. And Scotty was like, fuck it, man, I'm bringing it on the road. And he had this <laughs> for it and shit. And he was like, and dude, the thing sounded like mint. It was fucking mint, bro. And he put that into like a 1200 watt, like 80 pound power amp. He had a couple of other things in there, but that and then, then it's two huge 215 cabinets made by like a local base cabinet maker around Boston where Scotty was living at the time. And it was the biggest fucking sounding bass rig of all time, man. I mean, a lot of bass players, you're not supposed to play too loud on stage because you don't want to mess. The house can get louder and lower and bigger and push more air. And if you're fucking pushing too much air on stage, it's going to fuck up the sound and leave it up to the profession, you know, leave it up to the sound man or whatever, sound lady. But man. His rig was unbelievable. So I started to take out, I mean, when he passed, I'd like, you know, I still use the same rig. I can't remember if it was exactly the same ring I bought him. Yeah, when, when he passed, I, you know, ended up buying the rig from his family. You know what I mean? They, they kept most of his gear, but, you know, they, they wanted me to buy the, you know, to have the rig. So I purchased the rig and then I took it all over, man. And then very slowly, as the American reggae scene around that time started to get bigger, all the SoCal bands, like slightly stupid, blew up. You know, Soja started to blow up, even though they were East Coast. But one by one, man, I saw them yeah. all use, starting to use the same rig, starting to use the Avalon U5, starting to use some power amps, and then a configuration of other speaker cabs. I'm like, dude, they're Scotty right now, bro. He is just like, his influence, they don't even know either. But I was like, man, Scotty would love this. Or he would hate it. I don't know what he would have done, but it was still cool to see his influence. Scotty would have, yeah, Scotty's influence in, you know, in the American reggae scene was, was great from the equipment down to the vibe, no doubt. 
that he would you know be there even when he's gone because he dreamed up this absurd rig that over time thanks to you know his presence you sort of taking yeah, the torch and taking it on the road it becomes right. like the you gotta get it brother no other way to get it i love that beautiful man that's a beautiful reflection and you know just any way that people that dearly departed like reveal themselves in the littlest, most beautiful, often humorous ways. You know, that's, I think about that all the time with, with num numerous folks that have, have gone and, and especially within music, because it's a lot of it's tied to whether it's the gear, the guitar, the music itself, a lot of it's woven into the grief and the memories, you know? So I'm sure when a certain song comes on, it might take you back to those days it's difficult and beautiful at the same time. And unfortunately, that happens more and more because we lose more yeah, people. Man. And there's more music attached to it. You know, it's unfortunate. But at the same time, it's like I said, it's beautiful. And it's, yeah, it's why, I guess it's why we do this. No, man, it's beautiful. It's beautiful, man. The, you know, similar to what your fiance said, it's like it's vulnerable at that. You know, there's something of life through music not just the music is vulnerable it's like we are emotionally vulnerable when we're selling yeah man. and when you talk about like vulnerability i think i mean we did like 35 on old school so let's let's do some and right. uh <laughs> also no i mean i'm dude i'm not other than what you asked i'm not cutting any of that scotty right. stuff that was that's why i do this like be able to discuss stuff like that but with regard to nth talk about vulnerability and I don't say this lightly because I'm emotionally attached to a lot of music, but there are a few bands, artists, music that connect with not just me, yeah. but uh -huh. so many people on such a profoundly emotional, spiritual level um, that, I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's the very few artists, like even bands that I love that I go see a million times, like don't necessarily grab me there. I want to go back to the beginning. Maybe we don't have to do like blow by blow every lineup, every era. But, you know, my introduction to y'all, my first show was at Bear Creek 2013 in the music hall. Get over,
I want to take it back just before that. How did you come into the situation? Were you playing with Jen? And then like, how does the Maple Leaf thing from your perspective, like how do you end up there? Right. And what right. are your recollections huh. of the embryonic right. night when it all I, mean, I ended up down. there because Nikki, Nikki, because she was still in dumpster funk at that, or you know, she was in dumpster funk, was leaving John Brown's body at that time. And she had already left Beyonce. And you know, we've right. been homies for a long time, close friends, you know, like super good friends before like 2012, you know, for years, since like 2002, I think, like almost 20 years ago, we started hanging out. Like the Boston music thing, like Sam Kinniger band, like Nikki Berkeley era. Yeah, I played, I played with Sam and her a bunch. Yeah, I used to sub in for their bass player a bunch. And that's, and I met Nikki at Wally's when I was subbing in down there. Yep. Yeah. So I was like sub guy in the Boston funk scene for a long time or a sub guy. But yeah, that's how I, that's how I met her, man. Yep. Through Wally's, of course. Do smoke weed out back at Wally's and going in trying to play. <laughs> but fucking, uh, yeah. So she called me up. She's like, I got a bunch of gigs down at Jazz Fest. Will you come down? And I was like, Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'll come down. I was like, For how long? She's like, You know, stay for nine days. I was like, All right. Yeah. I can, I'll clear my schedule. You know, like, yeah, let's do this. I, I was like, You got gigs? She's like, I got gigs. And, you know, I was like, Cool. And, I was like, I don't know where to stay. So she was like, well, you know, you know, John Phillips from yeah. the reggae scene. Big ups, John Phillips. He's the uh, yeah, silverback owner with his brother and manager, co-manager of uh, oh, yeah. Slightly Stupid and a bunch of bands. I was like, yeah, well, I know who John is, you know, and a bunch of guys in John Brown's body ended up with Slightly Stupid. So I met John through them. And like, you know, I, I you know, we had been friends. He's like, well, he's renting a house for all, all the people that work for him at Jazz Fest. So you can just go stay there. You know, there's a porch and you can stay on the porch. I was like, yeah, sure, whatever, Nikki, you know, like, I'll be there. You got gigs, I'll be there. So I ended up down there. So I ended up in this house with all these, all these, oh yeah, all these people. And then we, Nikki and I had some gigs and then she was like, cool, we're playing this crawfish boil or some party at this place. So, but here's this kid, his name's Nick and he's got this song. And you have, you know, can you learn the song? I was like, yeah, sure, of course, of course. You know, it's, it's what we do. We learn songs and we play them, we have fun, and it's cool. And I put the song in, I was like, holy shit, what, what the fucking song is this? I was like, this is a very involved song. I was like, there's all these changes. I was like, man, he's talking about God. I was like, this kid is going in. I was like, I like this kid. This is going to take me a minute. I was like, you know, clear in the afternoon, like really dug into the song. I was like, cool, I'm, I'm ready for it, you know? And then, yeah, he shows up and we play the song. And he looks back and he's like, cool, so we're going to play this song. I was like, cool, man. Yeah, count it off. Yep, I'm ready. He's like, you learned it? I was like, I'm ready. Oh, yes, I did. He's like, wow, bro. I was like, yeah, man, let's play. And then, yeah, and then, then we played and the, and the vibes were really good. The vibes were good. Oh, that's incredible. I think that was the Maple Leaf year. Man, I'm the worst, dude. I am the worst. <laughs> no, no, no. It doesn't matter. It's, it's honestly not that important whether we get the year right or whatever, but that story, the, the reaction, like you putting on the phones, being like, holy shit, this is some shit. And then you rolling into the to the first practice and him being like, wait, you've learned it like that is beautiful. And also, again, I, I feel like it always mm -hmm. sheds light like that dynamic there is indicative mm -hmm. of what y'all have created together that you know, the ambition of what Nick wrote, putting himself, his relationship with God, his like, you know, the most emotionally yeah. resonant writing and emanating from him. And then you not being like intimidated 
or turned <laughs> off or being like, whoa, this, this dude's a little much. Being like, you know what? I'm going to meet him there. Yeah. I'm going to learn this dude's song. And and then that, I mean, is is the flame. That is like it in a nutshell. Like, and everything that's happened and since then just built on that is so again it just explains right. why it's so deep why it's so profound because it started there like exactly it started there it started there man yeah straight up we're like cool we're going to talk about yeah people's relationship to, or your relationship to spirit and maybe the world's relationship to spirit or god or whatnot you know and i was like wow okay let's do it i was like you're gonna play we're going to play this tune in six that has that, you know, all these crazy chord progressions. I was like, cool, man, let's like, let's do it. Dude. Like, and started as the band to play whatever we wanted to. It wasn't supposed to be this or that, or we're going to do this to try to, you know, pass the message of music along and to try to even reach as many people yeah. as we can. We're just like, no, man, we're going to do this for, for almost like for us, you know, it was for us with no, with no rules. And if people liked it, I hope they can connect to it. That was kind of the impetus. It's like, whatever. We can do whatever. It doesn't matter. Ain't nobody telling us what to do. <laughs> the emotional, I like to call it the emotional quotient. It's like, it, uh, you can't, it's intangible. You can't like actually account for how much emotion is in music because it's subjective. And everybody gets different stuff. Mm. But because that was the, the entry, and I think a big part of it is, and I don't, I don't want to do all the talking, but I want to make kind of like a point, which is like, the our scene like the jazz fest scene the jam crew scene the sort of like whatever grew out of the northeast or the bay area this like the italians call la cosa nostra this thing of ours whatever like we're a part of me you and the whole scene right yeah it's predicated on like fun so like whether it's imbibing drink get high yeah. dance it's costuming and exuberant and yeah, bro. it's 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 like epicurean uh, in nature which is to say like we know enough to know what's right and wrong and we choose fun yeah man. Uh, we choose like gluttony enjoyment right um, which i'm not there's not throwing shade i'm a big part of that i'm just saying like that is what this thing of ours is predicated yeah, on like, dance and joy and party and celebration celebration style exactly right. and exactly and y'all came to the party ready to celebrate like we're gonna dance but you you brought something deeper something more profound that wasn't like i don't know version of christianity or islam or judaism but it was godly and it also wasn't like capital h he him god it was just this non-binary spiritual bigger than us thing and because you brought it to the party, yeah. like, I think uh, it, it's like an outlier. It's different than everything else that's going on in our scene. Sure, people write deep songs and there's profound things going on, but mm -hmm. it's not what Nth is then or now. And I think for me personally, like I was really I'd wayward in my faith, not Judaism faith, but belief in God belief in something bigger than me, belief in fellow brother, sister. Like I had, whether it was drugs or uh, the good fortune I'd had to go and do a whole lot of fun shit, whatever it was, mm -hmm. I was out in the wilderness yeah, yeah. around then. Uh -huh. um, 
And right. Dan's power had a huge role in bringing me back to like belief in God, belief in myself, belief in like love, belief in forgiveness. Yeah. Um, and that was important for me when I went to jail, you know? Um, yeah. I talked to Nikki on the phone from jail. You know, she like read me Bible verses over the phone while I was in jail. Down. And, and I mean, it wasn't about that was the Bible. It was like her telling me to keep the faith, yeah. stay strong, that there's something bigger than in her version of that was from the Bible, mm. you know, and, and, and y'all were the last band I saw and people I saw before I got arrested. You played before Eddie Roberts for like a charity event at the great American music oh, hall yeah. in October of 2014. Um, it was like Eddie Roberts, West Coast Sounds and Power for Eddie's mm -hmm. Bay Area Charity. That's right. San Francisco, how y'all feeling this evening? Next morning, I was leaving to go watch the Eagles play the 49ers at the local bar. I had my Eagles gear on in the middle of the street, and y'all drove by me in the van, and I had a lit spliff that I ran out to you guys at a stoplight and gave you for the drive. It might not have even been lit, but I had a spliff, whatever. Dude! And you guys loved on me, and then the light turned green, and that was, and you drove off, and then two days later, I was in cuffs, for, and then I never got out of jail for a year. So understand that interaction, that music that night, Wow. spiritual music and then that interaction like y'all just showing me love in the middle of the street on a sunday morning in san francisco uh i held on to that for that year man. and I, I held on to the music i held on to the love and that in a nutshell is like why i waved the nth flag all these I years know. so hard because right on. some of my darkest times like y'all gave me something I, I, intangible. I can't explain it, but it was something. And it's still something. Like I said, when I did the Weedy interview and I said I played a bunch of hands of time during the interview, nice. I always play a song at the end of the interview mm -hmm. and I played Walk on Water. And while I listened to the Walk on Water from Aura Studios in 2014, which you played for DC, who passed away shortly thereafter, I sat at this desk yesterday, two days ago, and just wept. Mm -hmm. Doesn't have to be about the does it have to be about searching? Does it have to be about you? Does it have to be about yearning? Does it have to be about God? Does it have to be about trying? While the devil in my soul keeps me dying 
to walk on water again for the umpteenth time. And that's what I'm talking about. There's something in your music that reaches people. And I'm not alone. If you look at my post on Facebook, like, hey, walk on water, still an emotional sledgehammer and warm blanket. And there's like dozens of our, your fans from all over this country that are somehow connected to me. Wow. Co-signing. Yes, yes. And this song and this song, you know, like your music from that day when you stepped into that practice with Nick, like it's still fucking us up right. a decade later in the best way. Right. Just like just the emotional sledgehammer that sometimes you need. Dude, the emotional, that's, a, that's an amazing way to put it, man. No doubt, dude. The emotional, dude, that's amazing, dude. I remember that day that we that you handed us a joint. I was like, there's that dude. I was like, that dude's cool. I was like, that's B. You know, that was amazing, dude. No doubt. Just yeah, after man. that moment, man. I didn't realize I was so close to the time when, you know, when yeah. you know ran into that snag. No shit, man. It was literally Sunday to Tuesday. Whew. Crazy. You were driving to Santa Cruz. You were playing the Catalyst or something that night. Crazy. And, uh. Yeah, Crazy. so it goes, man. Yeah, bro, dude. But, uh, emotional sledgehammer, man. You know, that that's a cool term to put it. That's a cool way to put it. Because, you know, a lot of people... Nick has an interesting way, I think, of, not an interesting way, a beautiful way of just, like, getting right to it and not being scared to say it. You know, even some yeah. of my favorite lyricists, you know, like Robert Hunter and Jerry together, you know, or even Robert Hunter alone. Like, they would, you know, together would write... It was almost like they were writing you know, dealing with common plights of humanity. Things are just being human, you know, almost as regular as like needing to take a shower and brush our teeth, you know what I mean? And take a leak, like super common plights of emotional and spiritual, spiritual, uh, you know, challenges. way of doing that that i you know is very different than the way they wrote but just you know to draw the comparison where nick you know i think what well, they'll write a tale about it and bring us through a, a progression you know of 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 a character's life nick will just jump yeah jumps right in he's like here it is <laughs> you know he'll, he'll just cut right to the chase yeah man it's impressive he's not scared yeah i love that line you just drew because obviously the dead are my favorite band and and uh ever and Robert Hunter's me too. Yeah. Wow. I would have never guessed. I knew I'm sure you were down, but I would never guess that was like your your stuff, man. Yeah. I ran away from home at 15 and started following them around. Much like my parents dismayed, bro. And I was like doing all sorts of shit adults shouldn't do. But I was 15. But yeah, man, sure. I, like I, I went in deep quick, no doubt. I love that. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I got to go a few times in the 90s, but I didn't run away. I came home after the show. But, yeah. you know, like, I can't those go. were the days, man. Uh, I, but when you talk about, like, Hunter, and it's funny, I talked about this with Kraz the other day when he came on the pod. It's like, there's this, like, fictional city or universe that Robert would write about with kings and queens and card games and shootouts and stuff. But in those stories are these, like, life lessons that we, you and I, and everyone else still 
hold on to almost like scripture right and and what nick does is write it in the first person it's not a universe Mm -hmm. and a character in a far off place it's like this is me now i woke up like this i feel like this this is my life or and and i think it's the immediacy of it yeah as opposed to being like it's first person it's not some far off land of fairy tale and and honestly that can be intense you know, like oh, dude, it's with dude. the music, like it's, it's, it's a lot. And I think that, you know, again, that's what sets y'all different. It's like, we're going to dance. You come to the end show, we're going to boogie, but we're probably going to cry a little mm-hmm. and we might have to confront some shit. That's like not comfortable. And I think for, this is what I was getting at before for people that are conditioned to like good times, mm-hmm. like not everybody wants or is ready for like that kind of reckoning and it, you don't really if you pay attention at an nth show yeah. we don't you don't have a choice yeah you are going to work through some shit um like not in a negative way but in a in an internal spiritual way it's not just entertainment it is so much more profound and again i'm not just making this shit up or saying this is what it is for me you look on my post the from the other day or really any discussion about the band, it always comes back to that emotional quotient of something deeper and more profound. I'm curious because obviously like music is a business, right? And you guys have been at it for a while and some tours you do great and some tours you don't. Um, totally. Do, do you all ever confront that? Cause you said earlier, we write, Nick wrote that for him. We, we do this for us first, right? So do you ever consider that sort of like, well, maybe people aren't ready for the heavy shit. We should like write some lighthearted shit. So we sell a few more albums or more tickets or whatever, or 10 years in, is it still, we do this for us and like the chips fall where they may. I think a little bit, great question. I think there is a little bit of a reckoning being like, yo, if we want to touch more people, maybe we, you know, can think about how we're going to phrase certain things to maybe make sure we're going to, include more people you know what i mean in the in in the message of love you know because sometimes maybe a wording maybe you know saying god or first person narrative is a little much for some people you know what i mean be like well dude it isn't our mission not only to do it for us but we also we're doing it for us but at the same time trying to heal heal the world heal the world through music you know and it's a healing aspect for us to write it and cathartic and all of that to go through the messages that we help write with Nick and musically on how to do it. So, but it's also how do we want to help heal the world, you know, and heal, heal humanity through, through music. So in doing that and trying to stay more clear with that part of it, it's like, yeah, we need to be able to touch more people. And if we want to touch more people, maybe we should curtail some of the directness of the message. But every time we've kind of tried to do that, it hasn't really, hasn't really uh, super worked. But I think as far as like cognitively being like, let's try to, Let's try to let's try to smooth this out a little bit, you know, so more people can come to it. And every time we try to have been like, no, man, I, I don't think this is gonna work. Or we have tried on certain songs, you know, and dude, we never play those songs. You know, people might be like, Yeah, play this song. We're like, dude, we don't play this song. Song kind of like isn't our shit, <laughs> you know. It's not, it's not our, it's not our best, it's not our best stuff, you know. But there is a thing, yeah, that we have discussed, and we, you know, hopefully we're able to do it. We're able to kind of like and it might be even a deepening of the message without having to be the sledgehammer of it. And to be, whoa, how can we deliver this in a way where more people will be brought in and maybe less turned 
Because some people get do get turned off by the word God. And I can I can see why, man. And like, because God, you know, a lot of people use that term synonymous with religion. And religion has a sordid tale <laughs> on earth. You know, I mean, a lot of people, you know, like, yeah, without getting too into it or whatever we can, you know, our, our, you know, each other's personal belief on that. But, you know, a lot of a lot of bad things have happened in the name of religion. Sure. And like to get yeah. tied to that is pretty intense. And like, it's a really sad thing that people will get turned off to maybe they're, you know, being an idea of something greater than ourselves because of the hordes that have, you know, happened to humanity, to innocent people. The families over there, you know, yeah, in the name of religion, it's pretty. Sick. I agree, yeah, man. I, and you know, and I, I would say you're probably right, it might rub people like that. They do draw a straight line from God to whatever religion. Um, and for me, it was the opposite. For me, you gave me a pathway back to God without the religion. That's beautiful, man. That's beautiful, man. It took me a long time to get back to a sense of spirit outside of the confines of a straight line to religion. I love how you just said that. Yeah. Yeah. Straight line. I mean, it's something I battled with for a while. I really didn't confront it till I was locked up and everybody, and there's so much religion in jail. Yeah. You know, especially also being Jewish. That's not a popular thing in jail, but I don't want to get sidetracked with that. I'm just saying for me, I've been kind of out in the wilderness spiritually for a long time and combination of like your music, um, you know, moving through an opiate addiction, Mm. going to jail, all these sort of things in my life brought me back to God. And just God doesn't represent Jewish God, you know, Adonai or Jesus Christ or Allah. Mm. It just represents something bigger than us that uh, I'm grateful and honor and, and respect and, and want a relationship with. And I don't think I really knew how. Um, and I'm not saying y'all gave me the playbook. You just invited me back into like that covenant and i've just been making my way through it since and i get a lot of that out of the music out of your music right on brother my soul is free alive spirit circle not fall around the fire money will come for the next few hours we ring round desire Stars alive It's only one I will never let go Alive Let the swirling ghost from New Orleans survive that's what's up that's what's up i do too man it helps keep me connected to it in a certain way to have to approach the music in a certain honesty from the bass chair or from helping with lyrics or just like it just in general man just in general you know, yeah, it comes with its own challenges being part of something like that, you know, both as you kind of point out, like professionally, like it's, you know, turns, you know, it's a, some tours can be really good. Some, some are really hard, you know, the popular right. comes and kind of goes within the band, you know, and it's a, to ride that wave, you know, but it comes down yeah, to the music too. Man. It's not like we're playing a certain style either. 
even if the message, even if the lyric content didn't change, it's like, we're not playing a certain style. It changed the song. And even some of the grooves, I'm like, what? I have no idea what this group is. You know, we're all professional musicians in the band. We all play tons of other gigs and cop, lots of other styles, play a ton of music with a ton of different people. And it's all kind of style based. Okay, we're going to play this, going to play that, put our own thing onto it. But the end, even down to the music is, is, is unique. Which makes it a, I would agree. Makes it a challenge to play, bro. It's not like who's go like rip this reggae, let's play this funk, or this like you know, yeah, kill this R and B stuff. It's like nah, bro, nah, bro. You're gonna have to come with it different. Which is like, woo, right. hold on a second, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Definitely, but that's what makes you guys individual, special, unique, unicorn, whatever you want to say. You know, because you don't play a certain style. Uh, you play many styles. Many styles. Many styles in your own style. Um, we're at an hour. I have three more. Are we good? I mean, I don't want to. Man, I'm sorry. Yeah, definitely. No, we're definitely good, man. For sure. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm cool. good. If you're a good man, sorry. For I'm great, man. This is what I live for. This is what I do, man. And this, I also feel like the best stuff happens in this back end of the conversation because we're warmed up and we're comfortable and there's trust and all that stuff. So yeah, yeah I like this, man. I like man, I'm this. so happy um, to talk to you, bro. Likewise, man. Yeah, I feel like we always get the quick pound, what up, a hug, yeah. rap for five minutes and keep it moving. No, because yeah. you know that's what it is. So this is great. Did I carry you with me, man? I, I think about you, but it's cool to actually sit down and fucking talk. No doubt, man. I'm fucking right. Yeah, I feel the same way, brother, for sure. Yeah, man. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the most recent album. Oh shit. Um, because I think it was like unique in the sense that you know you're the core is a trio. And we can get into like who's been in the band, who's not been in the band. That's another question. This is more like all the eras and all the processes and all the fam, yeah. you know, kind of it's the core trio, but you've got, you know, Nick and Ivan, Maceo, yeah. and of course the late great Kofi Burbridge. point in your career you had a couple records under your belt um i know you did the majority of this or all of it before the pandemic and while kofi was still with us um any just reflections you have on reverence um in general the process and of course working with like maceo kofi um yeah uh, just because you know the the end thing is a unit you know like uh, whether it was the original five or you three or with courtney and this is like kind of the first record that has family members featured 
auxiliary players and stuff. Yeah. Um, I think, and Cheryl Pepsi's on it too. So I'm just curious about that. Like, how did you approach this record? Uh, sort of widening the circle. Right. Yeah. Well, since we didn't have like a, since we were touring at trio, like by the time we were recording most of the record, we did record some of it with Courtney, like before, yeah, before he, you know, before we parted ways. Um, yeah. Yeah. There was almost like, you know, there was different phases of the record, I guess. So as we needed people, we just kind of, we were just so excited to be like, dude, we got to get Nick and Nick on the course here, you know, Nick Daniels third, or we got to get Ivan on the course here. We, we would just realize what the song needed and then just call in the homies from there. Yeah. So that was like exciting. Getting the different guests on it was like the best, you know, from, yeah, all of that. That was, that was, it was fun, man. And we would write, we were writing, it was probably the most co-written, I guess, out of most of the records, like half the record was like pretty much co-written together and so that that process was you know it took a while man and it was pretty it, it was awesome in the studio to come up with it then and record it then you know it was it was challenging but beautiful man to see it all come together and for us all to work that hard together us three yeah getting the bands together yeah man so the normal thing would have been for nick to bring a song nikki to bring a song versus the co-writing together like nick has a song nikki has a song nigel has a song whatever right. and then the co-write is like hey how about my part here with your part there i'm gonna put this lyric here like a collaborative thing yeah. is that what you mean dude it was even yeah even more the the other albums or yeah the the prior music was a lot of that still like dude i got an idea for the bridge nikki does you know has something for the intro like it would be very collaborative anyhow and there were very few songs that were just like all oh, Nick start to finish here it goes, you know, and the ones even that were we, Nikki and I would be like, yo, can we move the groove? Can we do something different here? Do something different there? You know what I mean? Um, but this one was collaborative beyond that, where it was like lyrically we collaborated on, on some of it on the new songs. Cause a lot of the record had been recorded in a live setting before. And a lot of that was still Nick at the super at the helm with all the lyrics. And he, he is at the helm at the lot of the lyrics on the new stuff, but the brand new stuff on reverence lyrically was also co-written. Yeah, man. More than it had been in the past. And conceptually, what we were going for is like, yo, I got this idea. How can we exemplify this idea together? And we'd be like, oh shit, it's gonna take a minute, bro. <laughs> you know, he would go in, you know, and then we'd go in and adjust the music with the new vibes. And then we we just keep on building it like that. So oh man, that's dope. Uh, you know, and, and it's interesting just to hear the evolution, you know, the evolution of the creative process from that, again, that first shed sesh with when you learn the tune yeah. to like now this sort of co-writing thing, trio. Uh, I want to talk about the, just like the, I don't know, whatever reflection you might have with regard to Kofi specifically, like his role I like previous to the record, like this sort of like, I don't know, Godfather or like uh, Unk, whatever you want to put it um, to this sort of like angelic spirit that blessed this record that we have forever. Yeah. Like any reflections of Kofi in general, his role, uh, his influence. Ooh. Yeah, bro, dude, his influence. He was just like the master. And for Nick, he's a harmony master and nikki has these ears that are just like un she she hears everything she might not know what it's called she might not be able to pick it out wicked quick but she hears everything so 
And I had listened to Kofi a bunch in the ARU days, like way back, back at UNH, they'd come to like the, uh, the mub. And uh, also with O'Teal's band, the Peacemakers, I think he played in that at that time. He was a master, you know, just a master harmony guy and a master player, like a master and one of the sweetest dudes ever. So you got this kind of spirit over there that could play anything and do anything. And then so when we asked him to first do the Earth, Wind and Power tribute, that's when we kind of brought him into the fold at first. You know, we asked him to do it. I think Nicky was like, I'll hit him up. I'm friends with him. Nick was like, dude, that'd be amazing. We could get Kofi. And then I think. I don't know. Somehow through O'Teal, he came through. So O'Teal was playing on that show as well with us. So mm -hmm. man, when he came in and started playing, it was just like, it was so there, even though we were playing other people's music, it was like, dude, you just hear it in his music, even though we just playing other people's parts. But when he did add something, or his understanding of where that feel was and that harmony was, it was such a part of him. We were like, dude, this guy is beyond what we even thought he was. And then we got to know him and stuff. And I was like, holy shit, you know, this dude is really the shit. You know, we didn't super know each other until we started working on the nth, nth record. I mean, we we had hung out, we got coffee together, had meals together. You know what I mean? He had a lot, right. he was having like sciatic issues at the time, and we, I was trying to show him some stretches and stuff. And we were working on that through a few of the rehearsals. He was just like, "Man, I can't, I can, I'm really hurting." I was like, "Oh man, we got to try to open it up some." You know, not that I gave him any information. You probably didn't hear a hundred times, but. That was concerning, man. Back problems are tough on musicians, you know, traveling around, whether sure. you're on a bus or just planes all the time or, or a van or a car. <laughs> but, um, dude, when he started working on the Nth record, we had him down in, in Atlanta, which pretty close to where he was living at the time. And he just came in and Nick would just like play the chords on guitar. He'd be like, hmm. And then to hear what he was laying down, his interpretation of our music on the keyboards was like, I didn't, I had no idea. I didn't even know our music would sound like that at all i mean everybody brings their own thing but you're like all right the organ guy's gonna do this and you'll hear the organ he's gonna put <laughs> his voicing but he would take nick's voicings and this way he put them on piano however he did it it's fucking breathtaking man i didn't even know you know and that's when him and i started to hang out more he's like man you're a cool dude man we gotta hang out more he's like i'm really enjoying this session too man this is beautiful you know it's just amazing man hanging out with him what a gentle soul man what a gentle 
cool dude. No attitude, no, we're hustling this music up. I mean, we had discussions about what it is to be a musician and everything, but it was like some sort of purity, man, to the music, which him and his brother both have, even though we both have, we all are living life and everybody's dealing with like, whatever, the beautiful, you know, the beauties of it and the, in, 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 uh, the hardships of it, the mundanity of it and the surprises and of it. But man, it was, yeah. what he did with the music was, was, was really beautiful, man. Anybody that hasn't checked out the record, like there's no, don't check it out for this or that reason, but just to hear some of his keys work on it, man, it's probably worth checking out. <laughs> no doubt. Oh yeah. It was definitely one of my favorites last year and I was, Dude, I saw you wrote that, man. No doubt. Thanks for putting that up there, bro. A lot of people check. Oh, out. Yeah. You got to say, man. You know. Hey, man. Is all I can do is wave the flag. But like I said, coming on the heels of where I go, I don't know if it's even over yet. But the pandemic, you know, and and everything that happened with the culture war, with so many deaths, with so much anger, politics, whatever. Like that music is medicine. You know, it doesn't matter where you are or what's hurting like you get a record like that you know with with all the people involved but especially with the Kofi factor and you think about you know what's been lost and it kind of puts things into perspective you know it that's what I mean when I say it's medicine mm. it's bigger than just man this sounds good I like this it's like wow this makes me put things into a different perspective make, make me see things or feel things through a different prism whether it's more love more empathy yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think we all need more of that. And so your music, um, it's not on the nose with, it. you know, you're not like preachy. I don't, I don't get a, a preachy, religious, pious, judgy vibe. I feel like it's a big ass tent and the nth power is inviting us all to come <laughs> under this big ass tent. You know, that's how I feel about it. And I, so I tried it when I wrote that thing was basically to say like, hey, we're all hurting, right? One thing or another. And like this group put this music out so that we could have something to hold on to. And also it's it's a it's a love letter to Kofi yeah. in its own way. And, you know, I, when I hear the Lettuce Boys talk about Kofi, you know, uh, same thing, like the way you were talking about his presence, his ability to just take their music somewhere they had no idea it was even going. And do it like effortlessly, like one pass here at once. Dude, boom, dude, <laughs> dude, these chord progression, this chord progression on this one song, I've been like, work, dude, I still work on it for like, I, I hate to admit it, but man, this chord progression is a fucking doozer, bro. That Nick wrote, and it makes total sense. Shifts a couple, you know, it's a couple of different tonal centers of it. But Nick plays it, starts start strumming in the control room on the guitar. I'm like, oh man, this, is, this might take a while. And he whips out his flute, man, and just fucking burns it. I've got video of it. Nikki has video over. It's like, what the fuck is happening? He can honestly hear anything. He's like a perfect harmony guy. And I just, I had never heard those changes play with that kind of, you know, not just velocity, but also that kind of like ugh, girth behind it, bro. It was just fucking amazing, man. That on that song, Joy.
Oh, dude, I I love Joy, man. Yeah, Joy's a good yeah. one, man. Every again, it's an interesting song. It tough, you know, interesting song. You know, stylistic. I love it, man. But that flute solo is unreal, unreal. Yeah, I can't believe it. Yeah. It's like a harmony, harmony class onto itself. No shit, man. What a gift. So yeah, thank you for putting that out. Thank you, Kofi, wherever you are, for blessing <laughs> us. Not just with that, but with all the music. Um, I want to come back to the Earth, Wind, and Power and the tribute stuff. That'll be my last one. Okay. Um, which obviously Kofi was a major part of. But um, in between, Earth, um, Power, unique band in the sense. Okay, I'll take you back. Like I fall in love with the band. Write that article at Bear Creek 2013. See that show. See you guys. Give you the joint. Go to jail for a year. Come out. Things are a little different. Nigel has split. Right. And I wasn't around. I was in a cell or in a dorm for all that. So I, I wasn't privy to what happened or whatever. And I'm not, not asking that. It's, it's ancient history. But what I want to say is like what ha- began then was this sort of evolution where the band has taken on different iterations or incarnations, mm-hmm. whether it's members yeah, yeah. or songs. Um, and then somewhere along the line, uh, after you pared down to a trio and kind of like, focused and harnessed like what what is the unit you've the original nth power thing the sort of like family affair thing where it's like the unit is the unit you three but like family is family so we need to come back and play nigel come back and play courtney's on the record like that is such a honestly just such a beautiful thing to see to be a part of to see the sort of like the power of the music and the strength of the relationships supersede drama business. And like y'all can make music together in all these different incarnations uh, all these years later. So I'm not asking what the fuck happened. I want to know what's that like now to have this living organism. I like a family. Mm-hmm. with family members where you know you get mad at your brother and sister but they're your brother and sister and like down the road they're going to come back to dinner so <laughs> i love that and like that's why i was such a wreck uh, at swanee at hula like seeing the original lineup and then also seeing uh y'all perform like the the trio stuff like it's 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 just like organism. It's this living, breathing thing. And I know, I want to say, I know it's got to be hard when you established yourselves with the five and then there's changes and new and people leave and people love Nigel and blah, blah, blah. And I say this because on the lettuce side of things, I don't always bring it back there, but I have a front row seat with those guys, you know, Kraz leaves, Neil leaves. They're sort of navigating a similar thing of people come to their shows or at least years ago, where's Kraz? What's up? You know, I didn't even and, and y'all that. live the yeah. same thing, mm-hmm. right? You know, a crucial member leaves or two, you replace them, then you do different things happen. Um, and much like you see recently, Kraz sits in for full sets with lettuce now. Yeah. It's all up. And now we see Nigel and Weedy coming back. But just like lettuce is still a band without those guys, Nth is still evolving. It, it's not tied to the past, but you don't ignore the past. And 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 fam is fam. No, so no. I hope I made some sense there, but like, yeah. uh, maybe it's just like, what's what, you know, how do you feel about that? How, how does that feel now? Like water under the bridge, making music, um, 
and in essence, like, you know, your experience with the living organism family thing with that. Man, it's, it's a, man, that's a great way to put it though, man. It's like, it's like a family and like sooner or later, you know, you might have an estranged bro or something, but they're going to like come back sometime, you know, hopefully, you know what I mean? And you, and, and you get to hang out again, you know, and, and play music again. A lot of it was like, especially with them. Um, when like Nige coming back and us, you know, doing some shows with him to play his music again, but to have all this time after he left the band, you know, this huge amount of time. And then it all, and then we're playing this old, you know, older songs, man. songs I hadn't played in a long time or the band hadn't for sure. And it kind of felt like getting back. It was like, I don't know. I don't really know how to describe it. It was like going, you know, going somewhere new in a new car or going someplace old in a new car i don't know you know it's like you know end up at the grand canyon again and, and it's beautiful didn't feel like that different you know and to see how the band had like shifted and taken all these different ebbs and turns through its career since we had played some of those songs it was it was cool man it was kind of like going back and almost like paying respect to to the roots of the band that's how it felt that was not like just a personal experience i had you know and yeah. I, I hadn't discussed that with Nikki or nick or anything you know that it was kind of like you know paying tribute to the roots of the band and kind of like you know giving thanks in that way that's how it kind of felt from my position i was like cool man i learned a lot from these songs and producing these songs with this band and a lot from nigel you know i'd known nigel for years and years before the nth power started and we had worked right you know through boston and some other stuff and then it was did the nth power thing that was cool he went and did the lettuce thing again it's like cool you want to come back and do some gigs and we'll you know feature some of your beautiful music that you were with us or for us and some music you had that we performed so yeah man it it felt good, man. It, you know, it was cool. It was cool. It was cool. Weedy coming back is just a riot, and it's just fucking awesome, man. You know? Yeah. People got to go do their things, man. It's like, man, you know, if you got to go do something, like, do it. Like, by all means, we get one life to live. Like, you're feeling a call. You're getting called. Like, dude, you got to go answer that call. We're just a band, bro. We're going to be a band. So, like, whatever you got to do, fucking do it. You know? Yeah. You got one shot. So, like, I, I, I a band or a family shouldn't hold this really from like going and answering a calling, you know, like nobody yeah. judge that calling, you know? So for him to go out and to do what he did, he's such a pure soul, man. And I love him, man. We were bros on the road. We, yeah, we hung tough. We hung tough on the road. And, yeah. you know, to see him go out and do his thing, it's just like, yes, weedy. Like you did yeah. do that fucking record is fucking amazing and your band is out of control you know out of control good yeah so it's just like it's such a joy to see him and to have him come back around man it's just, it's just beautiful man please put your hands together for the bishop weedy brian on percussion y'all 
Yeah, man, nothing should hold people back from what they really feel called to do. And there's a lot of tough choices to make. And leaving it right. can be tough, man. It can be super fucking tough. Leaving any relationship. It's fucking hard yeah. work, man. Ouch. I've had to leave a few. Hi. It's the worst shit ever, bro. Said you bro. Tell me about emotional it. Emotional dude like me. I'm like, no. Go, uh, go break another heart, bro. Shit. Can't stand it, man. But I mean, it's life, you know, and it's part of the journey. Uh, you know, think about all the different music you made with all the different people and and then if you didn't break that relationship or leave then you wouldn't have made the next one and the next one it's all part of the process i think when we're in it and i can't speak for being in the band or any band for that matter but when we're in it so like from a fan's perspective it's like oh i loved weedy with Anth. i love the element that he brought to that band i miss it i miss whatever jazz fest 420 weedy all that that whatever that was, that energy, that yeah. explosion, right? Explosion. So selfishly, uh, I'm saying this in the past tense, yeah, yeah. I would long for that. Um, and it really in the process of three things, seeing the essence of time at the music box a couple of years ago, Weedy Brown, it was pre-Hands of Time. He called it the essence of time. It was like the Hands of Time and Friends, Okay, Ghost Note, blah, blah, blah. They just did like a big show at the music box. And it's one of the best musical experiences of my life. But that was the day, and that was in 2018, Jazz Fest 2018, that I said to myself, self, this is why Weedy had to do something else, mm. right? And now doing that two-hour interview with him, which I just put out a couple of years later, it's like, I really understand, like he was, quote, and he hates the word, percussionist in the nth power, and he is a Jembe Fola, a teacher, a leader yeah. with his other thing. And that is a mission that comes from a hundred generations of drummers yeah. passed down to him. Like, but again, in the sure. moment, I'm like, oh, I want Weedy and Nth Power. But now I get and, it, right? Dude, similar year, dude. I was the same way. I'm like, dude, he's really going to leave, dude. Like, that's not cool. Nigel, you're really going to leave. Like, but just to stick on Weedy, yeah, I was like, oh, my God, like, this is this is not good. He's my brother. I fucking love that guy right. playing with him. My time just gets better just being next to him. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I have my own instrument. I'm just like, it's fucking unreal. But I was like, yeah, dude, you gotta, you gotta go, bro. You gotta go. Like you have to go do your thing, man. Fucking go rock it, bro. Fucking go do it yeah. as good as you can, man. You know, you've learned, we've all learned a lot doing this thing together. Take what you've learned, you know, and fucking go forth and prosper, you know? It right. certainly is, man. I mean, shit, I saw him play at the Blue Note a few times in New York and shit made me cry, man. I was like, I'm, yeah. this is this is it, man. I agree, like, with what you were saying with regard to, like, you know, you wish it was one way, but it's the other way. That's a famous quote from The Wire. But uh, you want it one way, but it's the other way. I, I had a hard time relinquishing, especially the Nigel stuff and the Weedy stuff, like, selfishly i want this as a fan because i've already had taste of it and i had to learn like that there's more to it and like you know i think that that's a big part of like the process for fans i hope they're they, if they're listening now i know what we talk about it all the time not just with your band and not just with lettuce but lots of bands that evolve either change their sound change members mm. we as fans don't have ownership we don't they, they don't owe us. You don't owe us. You already gave us. Mm. You don't owe us. You, you're entitled to do what you love and we can either dig it or not. And I think that when you have an emotional connection to musicians and music, there's some level of ownership that kind of 
gets it like the fan feels like they are owed something and this process your band lettuce and some others have shown me a different way to be in receipt of the music in receipt of the gift instead of expecting deserving and like i want you to know i learned that through y'all man you know? right on b dude that's huge bro that's huge i was just reflecting on the bands that i felt that way about you know when they lost a member and i'll be like yeah i don't like this band anymore I like this band jbb be another one with kevin same thing dude dude we it, big it, split it took us a while bro no doubt we right. come out with that next album man which thank god did well you know, but the yeah. in-between time between that record, dude, the numbers were going down. People were like, where the fuck is Kevin? You know, people were backing out of agreements, you know, their gigs were getting, and then slowly but surely, you know, the machine started to get going again. And then the freight train yeah. full steam ahead. But it took a while, though, man. And I, and I dug it, you know? Yeah, it's really hard, man. I had the same experience. Even listening to, like, I'm a huge Jimi Hendrix fan. You know, I know that music. I, I you know, I can, I can humbly say I know that fucking music. And, like, I, you know, his iterations through it. Like, I, you know, I had trouble with even some of his changes. And, man, that shit happened like 60 years ago. <laughs> you know? And I was like, man, how could he fucking move on from this drummer? He was the best. I don't know, like, what he did. Now, this many recordings. What the fuck? You know? But really, it's just like, dude, I'm, it, it, it's his path, man. It's not me, you know? Or, you know, the worst part is, yeah, when somebody passes, I mean, whether it's, um, you know, I don't know if that really pertains. I don't know if you want to keep this, but like, yeah, when the Grateful Dead lost Brent, I was a huge Brent fan. Me too. And then they lost Brent. I was like, oh no, who's this Vince guy? Like, I think yeah. in the same band. The harmonies are different. Where's the fucking organ? Like, I don't think I like this band. And then I remember my best friend who introduced me to the Grateful Dead. I saw a ton of shows. I was like, who the fuck cares what you think, man? It ain't about you, bro. And it's fucking about them, dude. They're the ones looking this way. Everybody right. knows 60,000 people are looking that way. And they're the only six people looking that way, bro. It's fucking their deal, bro. Like, fuck you. <laughs> Great point. Great point. Your homeboy fucking laid it down early there. I love that. <laughs> it's funny because, you know, I only saw Vince era shows. My first show was in 92. The only, I saw one show with Hornsby and Vince. So Hornsby's on Concert Grand, yeah. Vince on Keys. But yeah. they wouldn't let Vince have a B3. Yeah, they, they reminded them of Brent. That's and it was I, too painful. So they refused. Yeah. They wouldn't I, let Vince I have a B3. Yeah. Poor guy, dude. No shit. He got I know. <laughs> no, he's up there with like some Casio chintzy ding 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 bells and shit. But yeah, they wouldn't they 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 handcuffed him. It's unfortunate. But oh man, I heard he suffered pretty hard, man. Too. He did. He did. He depressed, took his own life in an absolutely excruciating fashion, which I'm not gonna share. But if yeah, 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 you yeah. want to look it up, you can but terrible and not far from here you know it's right, a right, right, right. sad sad tale but and the dead is a, the dead is a great example of and and of like the sort of fan ownership i want it one way but it's another way because you know it goes back to pig pen right and then keith and donna yeah and then brent you know like there's all these evolutions i liked it better this way and that's the beauty of the dead is like you can jump in anywhere and it's amazing no um save for maybe the bitter end but um, <laughs> one one more thing I wanted to touch on, man. I, I mentioned Wheaties' uh, Essence of Time being one of the greatest concerts I've ever seen, like musical, bigger than concert, musical experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and you earlier brought up Earth, Wind, and Power, mm -hmm. right? The, fir the first, I mean, I've seen it three times, twice at Jazz Fest and once at High Sierra. But um, right on, bro. That, that said, uh, I wanted to kind of just talk about tributes in general because i feel like well first of all i would say unequivocally 
No shade to anyone else. Mm-hmm. Nobody does it like the nth power. No. Doesn't matter what the tribute is. Mm-hmm. The, right the, the amount of intention and detail. That, and it goes back, when I go back to that, uh, the original uh, Earth, Wind and Power show, you're right. You got Kofi up there and O'Teal. I remember uh, Shmeen's played the solo and that's the way of the world. Oh, man, that was- uh, it was right. Just like amazing. But it comes down to the you you all like the three of you and and really the core because you have some that you grab on almost every gig. Yeah. Um, I'm just because I I feel like tributes in general, especially at Jazz Fest, is like lowest common denominator, low hanging fruit. I also feel like it's kind of an insult to the the band. Like I want to hear and power music. I want to hear lettuce music. I want like original music, like. I understand it's a business and tickets and all that stuff. Right. So usually I, I say this to say, I'm not a tribute guy, mm-hmm. you know, by nature. When I'm coming down there to fest or in general, I want to hear bands make their own art, have thrown in a cover or two. Cool. Love that. But I'm saying I'm not a tribute guy except Nth Power, right. you know? And I, again, I've enjoyed other ones like Carl D and I love J-Rad. I'm just saying sure. as a rule, I'm not a tribute person. And yet, at the same time, I'll drop anything. Doesn't matter who's playing anywhere else. Doesn't matter if it's Earth, Wind, and Power, Marvin Gaye, Bob Marley. The only one I haven't seen is Nirvana. I'm not sure why I missed it in Nola, and then I missed it out here in uh, Hangtown. Right. But I forgot the, why you could come to Hangtown, but I remember you couldn't come. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah man. Um, all this to say, like, uh, we've talked about approach a lot. We've talked about like how you approach things, how you practice them, how you navigate them. Like, how do you put together like earth, wind and fire, like the, the ambition, like we're going to cover earth, wind and fire. It's like, Oh, you are, are you, you know, like whether it's the Verdi or the harmony is a Maurice, like is so many layers. And like, you can't to borrow a phrase from big daddy King, there ain't no half step. Yeah, man. Dude, earth, wind and fire. Same thing, bro. There ain't no half step right? to it, bro. No, you got to really dig in there. No doubt. So So take me there. Take me to the war room when you're putting together a show like Earth, Wind & Power or the Marley thing. Um, right, 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 right. Well, those are two like extremely different ones, you know what I mean? Like, within the style of, 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 of Earth, Wind & Fire, like the Ant Power kind of exemplifies yeah. and like directly influenced musically by Earth, Wind & Fire with the chords, harmonies, some of the feels, the message of Earth, Wind & Fire. Of course. Love and harmony, you know, and like, so we're more in line with them but the war room for the for that stuff man it's just like you got it you know we all came super prepared we like knew the music and they were like now like how are we gonna like what's the set gonna be how do we want it to look like but it's just like that music is dense in a lot of those songs i mean there's some like funky songs that are just kind of like what they are you know like awesome funk songs with some cool changes 
yeah, man, but the war room is like, you, man, you, you have really show up, man, keep your ears open to the possibilities of what's inside those grooves, you know? But for me, you know, it was really about, again, man, note lengths and like how to dissect those bass lines. But Verdine's an interesting bass player. He's got a very distinct style and he's not all polished. He's not like a session dude. You know, he's not like slick, but he's, he's a very interesting dude. So to try to dive deep into that. But Nick dove really deep into funk guitar for that. Yeah, man, we just fucking dug into it as hard as we could, man. Learning, because we try to sound like them as much as we can. And then after we rehearse it a few times as a trio or a quartet, then we're like, okay, how can we breathe our life into this? It's kind of naturally what happened unspoken. You set the bar so high. I mean, the next year was great. If I hadn't seen year one, I'd probably say year two was one of the greatest shows I ever saw. Yeah. And I'm going to be there this year. Nice. Uh, and, you know, I know you got a slightly different lineup. Some yep. come back, some new faces. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not just, okay, so Earth, Wind and Power uh, is the first one. And it sets the bar. Like I said, the, the, the level, like the costumes and the players and the harmonies and the presentation. And again, that was another one where I shed tears. It wasn't even Nth Power music right, and right. I'm shedding tears. And that happened also for the Marvin night too, where I did a lot of crying. Um, right. How's that different? Or you mentioned like the Earth, Wind and Fire is different than Marley. Obviously, musically it's different. Right. But I guess like when you talk about the tier of artist, you know, mm -hmm. like Marley might even outrank earth wind and fire in terms of like global cultural for relevance sure. yeah for sure so man. we yeah. talk about and, and you set the bar that high for earth wind and power uh right. so you have to do marley on that level i mean pretty much man no doubt and even though i mean it's just it's a different style too you know that drum right. is upside down the one drop you know and like the bass lines are, are completely different i mean me being a reggae head you know like it's somebody that spent you know that's all i played for years and years i was like fuck everything else man i'm not playing any other notes i'm playing reggae you know and it, that was a great discipline but you know not everybody in the band had done that so to try to be like yo you know to try to get that feel you know we took took you know it took more work we we worked we shedded that shit for a while and dissected it together as a band for a long time man like a week in the rehearsal studio just as a trio to make it sound good bro and then you know called in the cats you know called in cats that i knew that could crush the reggae part of that you know like raja lives in new Orleans yeah now. yeah man and rob marsher you know who i knew from sure the show, who's addison groove project and yeah man addison groove. i used to see them john hall rest in peace great bass player uh, that band bass passed bass away bro. he was yeah. so good bro holy shit I remember that yeah, he was, where he, 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 you know, he had passed, man. And he I, I was there. You were, yeah. I was there too, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah, I was. And I saw them play the year before on that side stage, right after Jen. You might have been in, were you in Jen's band then? I was asked to sub in in Jen's band a few times. And that's how okay. I ended up at that Maple Leaf show. Full circle. There it is. No doubt. So the Maple Leaf show, yeah, because that was after. It must have been the year after because Nick and Nikki and I, no, we weren't a band yet. So it must have been this Nikki recommending me for the Jenga. Sang in tone, played inside. 
have a baseball, extremely talented jazz guy who plays for Trey now. Dez. Right. Yeah. Man. Dez, right. Yeah. Man. And uh, Marsher was in that band too, wasn't he? He's the guy. Yeah, that's his band. Yeah. Too, no doubt. So I was just asked to sub in, but that turned into like a year and a half of subbing. Okay. Like hired Sierra with her, did some club dates with her, did a small tour with her. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was messing in her camp for a while with Nikki and Dick. Yeah. But then Dez came gotcha. for a while and Dez, Dez took his gig back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's awesome too. But it's a small again. It's family, family. Yeah, bro, family, family, bro. No doubt, man. Yep. Yeah, man. Man, I love that. Well, I'm looking forward to, you know, all the things. Like we got Swanee Rising coming up, which you're doing sort of like an amalgam of the tributes, right? Well, yeah, kind of, man. Kind of. I don't want to spoil anything. This won't come out till after. You could talk about it because it won't come out till after you play the game. Cool, cool. Right. Sweet. <laughs> Get me in trouble with them promoters. <laughs> no, no. Um, no, but uh, yeah, we're going to play. You know, it's an Almond Brothers kind of Grateful Daddy kind of thing, man. So we okay. surprise some surprises from that. We're playing a bunch of Almond Brothers tunes, which Nikki just did that Trouble No More thing. I saw. Yeah. Sold out the beacon. Dude, a couple of nights in a row, which I could have gone, man. I was going to go down, but yeah, some things came up. But um, yeah, man. We're going to play some Mama Brothers. Dude, we're, Nick wants to play Terrapin Station, so we're going to fucking do Terrapin Station wow. with the horn section and shit. That's a doozer of a song, you know? Oh, tell me about it. Dude. Amazing. But then I'm doing a bunch of Dwayne cuts that he played on. Dwayne Almond that he played on through his years down in Memphis and stuff and through Muscle Shoals and stuff. So yeah, you're playing like uh, uh Notice Rush song that he that he was featured on, uh, uh, an instrumental of an Aretha Franklin song. Yeah, man. So we're doing. Oh, I love that. Yeah, man. We'll do a couple of band songs. So we're kind of drawn from that from there, man. It's going to be a riot, bro. It's going to be killer. I love where this is headed, man. I can't wait to be there. Swanee's my home away from home. I love seeing anything nth oriented there. Again, that was my original. Uh, my original nth power was the music hall which, you know, I wrote a story about and like, uh, honestly, just really was the battery in my back. Why we're having this conversation today it was like what transpired in the music hall that night. And I remember it was like a lot of musicians in the crowd, mm-hmm. a lot of musicians in the crowd that night. We all knew this was something special, you know, it just felt it. And, you know, here we are. Uh, almost 10 years later. Dude, almost 10 years, bro. No doubt. It's a long yeah. time, bro. That's a long time. It is. And there's a bit, it's been a ride, you know, it hasn't been all up. It's been up, down, up, down, a lot of little side detours. And man, I just give thanks that you're still doing it and doing it well. Like, you know, it has felled lesser folks, you know, not everybody would make it. No doubt, brother. No doubt, man. Yeah, dude, the ups and downs are intense, man. You know, in other bands or in other shows, you're like, okay, it's like this, all right, the crowd or whatever. But with, you know, with us, the ups and downs have been intense, man, but it kind of, it makes the fruit that much sweeter. that's for sure, you know, and to do it with the intentions that we have. I don't know if it would be any other way. Jumping back in with Nate for a sec. A few weeks after we spoke, a whole lot went down. Swanee Rising, Jazz Fest, High Sierra. I had to get back with Nate and get a little bit more since we last spoke a few weeks back. Now, uh, had some technical difficulties, just my mic was super hot, so I'm not going to use the audio from our conversation the second time. It's just be hard on the ears. Um, basically going to jump in with the questions and play his answers, beginning with uh, asking him to get 
caught up from the whole Peach Fest in Scranton, Pennsylvania to High Sierra Mission, and then a bit about the sets of music that they performed at High Sierra. Man, shit. So, yeah, so that Friday before High Sierra, before we showed up there to do our thing, we, um, yeah, we played Peach Fest, like you said, but we had, we, we got there at 10 in the morning at Peach Fest to run, start running rehearsals with, uh, with Pete Levin, who was, uh, the keyboardist who we had played with us for the Steely Dan set, as you know. So, you know, we, we had to go get with Pete and Street to start rehearsing the stuff ourselves. We'd spent a lot of time on the music on our own, of course, and we've already done that tribute show before. So it was more like a, but man, we, so yeah, I left at like three in the morning from where I live now and drove all the way to Scranton, PA. And then we rehearse in a uh, in the hotel, not the lobby, but in one of those conference rooms we set up there. So we rehearsed there, and then we um, had for like six hours, got some food, and then went over to the festival site. Right out, and they had shut down the festival site right when we got there. Right when we got to where the bus kind of picks us up, or you know, when they radio us, be like, "We're ready for you," because of a thunderstorm rolled through. So we thought we were going to get canceled. Yeah, yeah, Rob Marshall came and sat in for a joint. Yep, yeah, for, for only love. He knows that whole arrangement and how we, we go into a bunch of different songs at the end and do, do a mosh podge of stuff. So, yeah, he knows that arrangement well. It was great to play with Rob always, man. He's one of my favorites. Man, that man's done a lot of work, man. He's a quiet dude sometimes, but, man, he's done a lot of work. He's made a lot of music, for sure. Oh, yeah, dude, it was, it, it was, it was one of those missions, man. I don't know. It couldn't have been, like, too much tighter in time, and it couldn't leave any room for error, you know? Oh, but just before I move on to that, to from when we left Peach, like an hour after we were done playing, do Crass sat in with us, and he's only done that once before, but that was killer at Peach, man. He, like, turned it up, man. We did a, we did a um, Neville Brothers song, and he, he, he killed it, man. No shit. But anyway, we got done with the set and we just, uh, yeah, got out of there, drove back to New York City because our flights were on in New York City. So we drove back through the night there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had a mid-morning flight, not first flight out. So we slept for like three hours and then went back to the airport and then flew to California or no, flew to uh, Reno and then picked up rent-a-cars in Reno and linked up with everybody and then drove, I guess, straight. Yeah, we didn't stop at the hotel. No, we just drove straight to the festival. That's right. Yeah, just drove straight in. Found, yeah, found our stage, found some coffee and some food and a bottle, and then, yeah, went to work. I know, man, dude, it is one of their funkier tunes, but I was like, man, it's got, I was like, okay, like they're going, 
you know, I mean, dude, there's not much you can do to that song. You know what I mean? But yeah, we're just messing around like in rehearsal. And that just kind of came out. Cause I was like, well, if it was brought to a, a, a funkier zone, maybe this would be part of it or, you know, more of a modern kind of maybe hip hop kind of, you know, techie kind of shit. But yeah, man, some turntable kind of what might happen on a synth line if Bernie was hanging or something. I don't know. cool so that's going to be your intro so you're going to use that as an intro right i was like i don't know man no dude it doesn't really fit the song i really don't i don't know like you just want me to go you know and they were like yeah dude just do that do the nate dog that's what they say if something comes out that like doesn't that they want me to do again they're like do the nate dog again Yeah, man, I mean, yeah, Steely Dan, super unique music, man. That's cool you connect so hard with it, man. Anybody that connects with some music that that much, that's a beautiful thing. Just to be able to have that kind of connection to music, man. That's killing. That's killing. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, man, but my approach is, like, similar to, any, you know, anything else, which is, like, really try to get in, you know, really get inside what the bass player is doing. Like, his choices. Realize his choices and what he, why, maybe try to, well, not figure out why, but just figure out what he did, man. you know, and to like learn it pretty much as best as I can, you know, and like learn every note. And then at some point release that kind of studious, studiousness of it, or that kind of like, you know, analness about it. Like I need to sound like that bass player, you know, and then just, uh, you know, start grooving on it with Nikki because it's going to be a little different. It's like a living organism, you know, so you get, you just can't like slop, slop in what you, what the record is you know they call that kind of being like a you know parts police kind of guy like oh you're not playing the part on the record which is like sometimes really useful information to be you know you know you're not playing it like the record and maybe it should be played more like the record it's just a fine give and take there because you want to play like the record but you don't want to stifle a vibe if something's actually happening so it's just a lot of fine lines especially doing these tribute sets you know it just is. It just is. It's a fine line because you want to make it your own, but you also want to really like these records are so important parts of American history, you know? So, yeah, man. But sooner or later, you got to breathe your own life into them or else you're just being a museum piece and I'm not that old, so. <laughs> Had to get Nate to talk a little bit about the gospel set they played at High Sierra. It was Sunday morning after the Steely Dan set and it was amazing, super rewarding, unbelievable performance. So here's Nate's comments about the gospel set. Like Nikki and Nick, they're steeped in the gospel thing. Like Nick was brought up in a church where his parents brought a lot of contemporary gospel music 
to their thing. And Nikki, Nikki comes from a long line of church musicians and has been, you know, playing drums in the church since he was two. So they're, they, they know these songs, man. They know them inside out. Like the, the, when we were choosing the songs or when they were kind of choosing the songs, I should say, you know, we, we, we were driving to an airport late at night. It was like a you know, driving there at two in the morning, getting to the airport at five for a 6 a.m. flight. And they just started ripping the gospel. They're like, cool, we got to get the set list done, huh? And then we just started, they were just like, oh, how about this one? How about this one? And then we didn't repeat a song for like four or five hours. And by the end, they were like, cool, so let's do those. And I was like, which one are you all talking about? But they knew because they got this whole thing, you know? So, but I knew about half of them, you know, or, or more because there are a couple of gospel artists I've, I've, I've really been into, a few from Dallas. When I say really into it, I, I should say I've checked out. Nikki's been turning me on to gospel since I first met her like 15, 17, 20 years ago. I don't know, something like that. So yeah, she's been turning me on to gospel music, especially when we first met. I was like, what's up with all this gospel music I keep on hearing about? She's like, oh God, here we go. <laughs> but uh, yeah, people like Kurt Franklin, like I knew those tunes. Yeah, and I knew the uh, I knew the Clark sister songs. In fact, when they were like, can we do, they were like, Nate, we got offered to do the gospel, gospel set. Do you want to do it? Can we do it? You know, are, are you into it? I was like, only if we can play that Clark sister song, uh, you brought the sunshine. It is so sick, man. That song, I think we closed with it. Man, so there's a version of that on this, like, I think uh, there was like a gospel TV network, like back in the 80s, or late 70s called, I think it's called um, Saturday Night Special. But they, there's a slap bait version of that that's to die for live Clark. I think it was a live Twinkie Clark session. But yeah, man. So they chose the songs. And I just got in there, you know, got in there and learned them as usual and played them. It's a different style. We're like the Steely Dan, mainly Chuck Rainey's the bass player, is a Motown guy. So there's like a Motown aspect to the bass on Steely Dan, which is one of the things that I like about Steely Dan. And that list might not be long of the things I like about Steely Dan, but the fact that Chuck Rainey created those bass lines with those guys is huge. Like Chuck is one of my favorite soul guys from the Atlantic record days from that label. Like he's one of my favorite, but the gospel playing, man, it's a different vibe. And it sounds kind of like you would be easy. And it sounds like, oh yeah, it's just like whatever those notes. And oh, he does these fills and kind of fancy, kind of not, but man, it's a, it's a different, it's a different pocket. It's a different groove, even though it might not sound like it, like to me, you know, even sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. I got it. <laughs> 
and I'll sit down to learn. I'm like, oh, fuck. You know, like, how long is that note? You know, or what kind of intention? Like, how does that phrase go over those four bars? Like, what is that? It's pretty cool, man. I love the study of it, of that in particular. Had to rewind to Swanee Rising, where the Nth Power Ball took place, and they played a Spanish Moon and an unbelievable Terrapin Station, which I'm going to play on this pod. And, of course, uh, I had to thank them for dropping that fire and just explaining that the last three really incredible musical experiences that I've had um, belong to the Nth Power, Swanee Rising and twice at High Sierra. Man, dude, that's, man, that is, that's an honor, man. You see a lot of music, bro, no doubt. And just to bring up that number three again, it's funny because Nikki was pretty much the driver of the gospel. Nick could drive the gospel too, but that's like her. She's got decades on Nick on the gospel. And then Nick kind of drove the Steely Dan because he really loved Steely Dan. And then all that, all that stuff that we played that night there, I, I had picked that set. So that's interesting. The power of three, man. No shit. You did to be anywhere on your list, man. You see a lot of music, bro. That's for sure. As we were trying to uh, get this phone call in, or Zoom call, I should say, I was running a little late. Nate texted me, cool, cool, which reminded me I had to ask about this sort of post-Turquoise endeavor. It's happening at Brooklyn Comes Alive. Shout out Kunj, Sarah, Gideon, Andrew O'Brien, the whole team at Live for Live Music, uh, putting together Brooklyn Comes Alive with the debut of Cool, 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 which is like uh, seven-ninths of Turquoise with Nate Edgar on bass for the first show. He's not a full-fledged band member, but he is stepping into that role, and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask him to shed a little light on that before we signed off. Yeah, dude, I always say cool, 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 or cool, cool. I'm not always, but I say it very often. So when I got the, when they told me, like, oh yeah, by the way, it's called cool, cool, cool. I was like, where the heck do you get that name from? I was like, you messing with me, all But yeah, man, yeah, definitely like not my band, but I, I work with all those guys and other side projects, all, all, all the people from the, the band formerly known as Turquoise. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But when they asked, I think it was Shira that reached out. She was like, the one that reached out, she's like, are you into doing this? I was, and I was like, well, what is this? You're like, just to play with us. I was like, to play with you and the, and the homies, like with, with the friends? She's like, yeah. I was like, yeah, of course. I'd love to. Me, Mikey and I, we play a bunch together. We do the Purple Party stuff with for live for live and we do also the live for you know a couple other tribute sets that live for live does together so yeah mikey man i, I love playing with mike it was an honor and a privilege to rap with my man nate dog had to sign off give thanks let him know how grateful we are for his time and his the window into his career into his musicianship into his humanity love nate dog nate edgar bassist of the nth power and as you heard numerous other endeavors Love you, Nate. And back at you 100%, man, dude. I, I appreciate you very much, man, all you do on the podcast, dude. And yeah, yeah, all you, all, all, yeah, just your vibe in general, of course, man. It's always a pleasure, bro. No doubt. I appreciate any time we get to do, you know, chat, man, let alone on a podcast, dude. Killing. Thanks a lot for having me, bro. Thank you.
and we will praise you for the rest of our days. Man, after this gospel set, I can like hear the roots of Enth in like such deeper ways. It makes me well up just even thinking about it, hearing these songs. Unbelievable. So yeah, thank you, Nate Edgar. What a thrill and joy that two-part conversation was. And I didn't realize it was going to be so long and I was going to stitch in quite that much music. And um, yeah, just incredible. I love to do this. I am so honored and privileged that these artists open up and man gives me like purpose in these dark times uh a battery in my back as i'm inclined to say now i really had initially planned uh to play three songs after talking with nate to represent what we discussed but i didn't realize this was going to go over two hours before i even got to the vibe junkie jams so uh i'm gonna call an audible and uh still uh you know stick with the plan so like we always do about this time the vibe junkie jam i'm gonna stay with nth i'm not gonna do steely and i'm not gonna do the gospel i played both of those on the pod already and uh you can look them up you can hit me up i've posted them both i've shared them they're available in the archive YouTube, etc. Thank you to Must Have Music for filming the complete gospel set. Man, I have literally hit it every day since it happened. Um, and with that, yeah, we're going to do the Terrapin Station from Swanee Rising, the Nth Power Ball. And I'm going to see if I can reel off the band. Obviously, Nikki, Nate, Nick, Pete Levin on keys first time i saw him perform since his heart transplant in november he was also on the gigs at high sierra um so pete on keys then the horn section was jen hartswick and jonathan monez uh from ghost note and scott flynn on trombone uh pretty lights odessa john brown's body conveniently enough and that cat charted out all the orchestral arrangements and stuff for the Terrapin. So I don't want to spoil it. Let's just say it's not your average Terrapin. First of all, it's Nth Power's first whack at it. And they incorporate some of the stuff you hear on the album with like accompaniment. And it's absolutely breathtaking. And uh, yeah, it was extra special because I got a quick shout out before they dropped into it. Because both Nikki and Nate had kind of given me the wink wink ahead of time about it, as you heard on the pod. And of course, I talked to Nikki, which hopefully I'll drop that conversation with Nikki next. I was going to try to put them on the same pod, but they deserve their own pods and uh, their own episodes. So that's what's coming. There's a Nikki one in the pipeline, maybe next or the one after that. We shall see. Um, it's a little shorter. So TBD, as the kids say. And yeah. Uh, just so that this thing doesn't go way over two and a half hours. I don't want to scare people off <laughs> when they look at the pod length. Like, oh, I'm not going to listen to that. Things like, 
half my day. So uh, I'm going to sign off and say goodbye, job bless, and we'll see you next time. Yes, indeedy. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for Paul Levine, y'all. My man. He's been with us from the beginning. He gave the Nth Power our first real gig here at the Music Hall in, what was it, 2013, Nikki? 2014. That's my man. We'd like to take you on a trip now. This is uncharted territory for us as a band, as the Nth Power. <laughs> This is uncharted as fuck. I don't know what else to say. Yeah, pretty much. Hey, you know what? This is for you, Juma. Okay, this is for you, Juma. Where you at? He's right there. There you go. And B. Gets. This is definitely for you, Juma. B. Gets. All right, this one goes out to Ramon Juma.
all that stands today You decide if he was wise The story teller makes no choice Soon you will not hear his voice His job is to share life and not to master Of the moon, terrible stays there. 